us. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your love. And I just thank you so much for this study on holiness, Lord. Pray that you would just continue to guide us, direct us, Lord. Show us, Lord, how to pursue holiness, Father. Be with us. And I pray that we would just sit here tonight, Lord, with our ears open, our hearts open. And, Lord, that we would just continue to want to seek after Seek after you, Lord, and to walk in your way. And so, Lord, we thank you and praise you and lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) So like Donna said, happy Valentine's Day, lady. It's good to see you. I wondered truly, like, how many women would be here? You know, usually it's a night that you, you, um, there's a big thing at work today. Oh, what are you going to do? Oh, what are you going to do? But you know what tonight shows, ladies, that each of you came tonight because of your love for Jesus that outweighed any other love. He loves you more and that you can even believe. And so to me, that was exciting. And so to be able to say that I was coming to a women's study was very encouraging. And, and But, you know, every, not, not a lot of people thought, like, oh, women's study. But anyway, the Lord's good, you know. So that's what it's all about. It's all about him. So in our study tonight, the holiness of God. And I don't know about you and the study, but, boy, I'll tell you, when I started to get into it, I, you know, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed searching some of them scriptures and, and really seeing who the Lord is. But you know what? The holiness of God can be really fascinating and also very terrifying. And so, you know, I learned a lot. I'm like, okay, I need to, to hold, hold on tight, Lorraine. Here we go. One of the most important attributes for understanding God and ourselves is God's holiness. We can catch a vision of God's holiness when we regard many things as we live a holy life. When we lose sense of God's holiness, that's when we lose the realization of what is holy and what is unholy. You know, we need to make sure that our lives are pleasing to the Lord. Did you get an insight doing the study on sin, on justice, on grace? I hope that through this study, everyone was able to see that that we have a new awareness. Maybe that new awareness came to you of our dependence on God, his mercy, and his majestic holiness. Jeff Bridges writes in The Pursuit of Holiness, to live a holy life is to live a life in conformity to the moral precepts of the Bible and in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. It is to live a life characterized by putting off our old self and putting on the new self. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness in Ephesians 4. Holiness, as we saw, affects every area of our life. As we study the attributes of the holiness of God, the, um, the holiness of God and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, let's consider the response which this should produce in our lives as we seek to worship Him and to serve Him. First, we must be mindful of the, of the importance of this divine attribute, holiness of God. The Hebrew word for holy is kwadash, and the Greek word is hygos. In both cases, the meaning is separateness or being apart from that which is unclean. An encounter with God always produces awe and dread that leads to separation from sin. The primary meaning of holy is to is separate. It comes from the ancient, like an ancient word, uh, to cut or to separate. So you know, like you might say, you know, like in today, oh, they're a cut above, you know, which you know means, which implies that superior excellence. <clears throat> more than more than one of the script, one more than once we read in the scriptures that God is called holy, holy, holy. <clears throat> 
Not that he is, not that he's holy or holy, holy, but he's holy, holy, holy. Never do we read ever that he is love, 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 or that he's just, 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 or that he's mercy, 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 or wrath, wrath, wrath. And you get the point, right? Because I could do the rest of the study just doing that. But we get, we get it. We get the idea. The Hebrew does, uh, doesn't have a grammatical way to express the comparative or the superlative. The way that it stresses the importance is by this repetition. This triple, this triple repetition of the divine attribute is without parallel in the rest of the Bible. Um, this means that the one who is holy is uniquely holy. There's no rival. There's no competition. <clears throat> and that, you know, I believe that by now, I know for me, I was like, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm getting it. You are holy. You are above. When the Bible calls God holy, it primarily means that he is transcendently separate. He is far above and beyond us. And he uh, may even seem foreign to us. And I'll tell you, that's where I started going. I'm like, wow, there's nothing that matches the Lord's holiness. So if I had to explain this to one of my kids, you know, and, and was going through the Bible, or even if I was teaching with the little kids, you know what I have to say? It's like Buzz Lightyear says, to infinity and beyond. That's who the Lord is. That is his holiness. And when things are made holy, they are set apart unto purity. They are to be used in a pure way, and they're, they're to reflect the purity as well as simple separateness. When the word holy is applied to God, it doesn't just really signify just one single attribute. It's used in, uh, as a synonym with his deity. The word holy calls attention to all that God is. It reminds us of his love and that his love is a holy love. His justice is a holy justice. His mercy is a holy mercy. His knowledge is a holy knowledge. And his spirit is a holy is the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> God the Father is the Holy One of Israel. The, ho- the idea of holy implies differentiation. The realm of holy is entirely set apart from the common, the habitual, or the profane. Isaiah frequently uh, refers to God as the Holy One of Israel in Isaiah 12.6, 17.7. 29.19, and 23. Isaiah 41, 14, 16. Isaiah 47, 4, and 69. The Holy One, Yahweh, is utterly unique, distinct, sacred, and set apart as the only one of its kind. He alone is worthy of true worship and adoration. He alone is matchless. He's utterly matchless, unrivaled, beyond compare. He, he he, there's none like him. And in relation to us, ladies, he, he is known as creator and Lord. Yes, only the Lord is infinitely and in, in, in eternally known as himself, to himself as I am who I am. Exodus 3.15 tells us. God alone is majestic in holiness. Exodus 15, 11. He says, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, <clears throat> doing wonders? Sorry about that. God in his wisdom doesn't leave us to answer. Because you imagine asking that question, who is like you? 
among the gods, who is majestic in holiness? Could you imagine some of the answers we get if God didn't give us an answer to that? Yeah, I did. I started thinking, wow, imagine what people would come up with. But we don't have to think about it because in 1 Samuel 2, 2, we get the answer. No one is holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, there, nor is there any rock like our God. And immediately, and I love worship, and I love music, and I love to sing, and Im- immediately, you know, and, and I was going through this, and, it, and the only, the, the one song that came to my, to my heart immediately was, was, when your heart is overwhelmed, please lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I just thought, you know, in going this, in going through these scriptures, and when I, when, you know, you read something or you're going through a tough time, is there a song in your heart that you can sing, that you can grab onto, that you can just sing to the Lord? Because I'll tell you, we need it. And, and obviously, if once wasn't enough, there's a couple more scriptures that remind us that there is none like him. Psalm 86, 8 through 10. Psalm 99, 1 through 3. Isaiah 40, 25. Those are just a few that remind us that there is none like him. The Holy One of Israel, that this title is often used, like I said, in, his, in um, Isaiah and at the time when Isaiah, in, in the time of Isaiah. It served to place the sin of that society in the stark contrast of, to God's moral perfection and expresses God's absolute separation from evil. And there are many, many scriptures. Second King talks about God's absolute separation from evil. Second Kings, uh, 19.22. Psalm 71.22. Isaiah 1.4. And there's so many more. Jeremiah 50.29. And they keep going on. Habakkuk tells us in 1.13. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil, and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. This was a time of evil. And this time of uh, in Isaiah. So just a quick question before we go on. Think about this. If the, uh, if the eyes of the Lord are pure and they can, he cannot look on evil, how much of the time in the day are the pure eyes of the Lord not looking on you? Make me think. In the book of Isaiah, <clears throat> what did Isaiah need to give him a proper perspective? and endurance to, per, to persevere in this hard time and to do what the Lord's going to ask him to do? A vision. And the Lord does what? He precisely gives him that. He gives him the vision. And he saw that Lord high and lifted up on the throne, high and exalted. And I just think, you know, in the craziness of Isaiah's day, it seems like it's a lot like our day today. There doesn't seem like there's very many differences and What I hold on to is my God is on the throne. In the craziness of CNN and everybody who, you know, our world's going to be destroyed by our president, I remember our God is on the throne. And it's really, you know, and, and so it's nice to share. People are not very open and receptive, but, you know, that's God. God. God is on the throne. The uniqueness of God's holiness is stressed by the repetition, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And you know what? The vision that, that Isaiah saw and in that holiness, what did he say in verses 6-5, Isaiah 6-5? He says, woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am, man, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people 
of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah, Isaiah was able to see his sinfulness and the sinfulness of the people around him. He confesses he is that man of unclean lips and that his people were the same. The scripture says a great deal, doesn't it, about the tongue, ladies? Proverbs. Just go through the Proverbs. You can spend all your time right there, that's all. But you know what? You can go to Matthew 12, 32, 37, Romans 3, 10, and of course in James 1 through 12, where it tells us that this little member, it defiles the whole body and, and it sets a fire on the course of nature. This little tongue, this little thing right here, it can do a lot of damage. It can crush. It can destroy. It can tear down. We need to be careful. And so if Isaiah knew that, then and he was simply left with this crushing sense that he would be unfit for the ministry that he was about to pursue. So what does he do? You know, uh, he recognizes that that curse was directed to his lips. So if the curse is directed to the lips, so is the cure. One of the seraphim touched him, his mouth with a burning coal symbolically as to cleanse his mouth. And, um, then, and then, of course, the Lord asked him, after all of this, whom shall I send and who will go f- uh, for us? And, of course, Isaiah's response is, send me. So I wonder today, is that our first response? Oh, my gosh, Lord. Look at me. Look at who I am. I'm sinful. Do we go before him? Do we bow down before him? Do we ask him to cleanse us and then get up and then he say, okay, who's going to go? And we jump up and are ready to say, send me. I hope so, but we don't know. Unless we grasp God's holiness, we will no longer be amazed at his amazing grace. It's easy to take God's grace for granted, and it's commonly done today. Rather than assuming God's holiness and being amazed by his grace, We take for granted his grace, and we're amazed and offended by his holy wrath and his judgment. I learned a lot, and I know the Lord speaking loud and clear. He sure did. And you know, that coal burning, uh, the, the coal on Isaiah's mouth, you know, was his cleansing. But for us, our sins are cleansed by the very blood of Jesus Christ. He died on that cross, and our sins are forgiven. So we need to just constantly remember that it is done. And I know I was sharing with Donna just a, a little bit ago that lately, in it, you know, uh, in the last, gosh, month, <clears throat> a lot of things have been happening. And, and uh, I know that the, the scripture the Lord gave me was, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch to the door of my lips. And everywhere I kind of would turn, some people are saying things, and women just have so many words. Oh, my gosh. And men are catching up. It's scary. But, you know, um, and so I just remember, I mean, I shared with my niece, you know, she, she's um, been a little crazy and, and very unruly and, and not nice at all. And I just, you know, I sent her that scripture. And so, and I did, and I just sent it to her and I told her, you need to find it. You find it in the Bible and then you come back to me. But then I just found that just kind of everywhere I went, that was the scripture, you know, uh, that the Lord was showing me. And like I said, you know, the, the word can, our words can hurt, they can destroy, they can tear down. And it's a reminder that, you know what, the pure eyes of the Lord do not look upon evil. So we do need to be careful with the things we say. Again, in Revelation 4, 8, uh, we're told that the four creatures um, had six wings and they covered their eyes everywhere. And day and night, they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And I did say that day and night. So let me ask you, what are you striving for day and night? 
Give both your ears, yes, both of them, to the Lord so that you can hear him speak to you. And I don't know, and somebody did say, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can hear the voice of the Lord. You know, I can't hear him. Well, ladies, you know, hear him. All you have to do is open it. Hear him. Hear him. So it's there. His voice probably sounds maybe a little like yours as you're reading it, but you know what? It's the Lord speaking to you. And that's what we need to do. We need to be in the word so that we can hear him loud and clear. And then after that, what do we need to do? Obey. That's the tough one, right? We can read, we can hear, but it's the obedience. Uh, in Revelation 4, 8, the word holy is singular, is singular. Holy is the Lord and the Lord only. How inspiring. In Psalm 68, 35, it says, Oh, Lord, you are more awesome than your holy places. The God of Israel is he who gives strength and power to his people. God's perfect holiness is seen in the complete perfection of his attributes, such as power and goodness. But you know, there are things that the Lord also chooses to set apart from the world, isn't there? Like the Holy of Holies. The whole, that, that was the holy place in the tabernacle that the uh, high priests were only allowed to go in once a year. They had to go in with the blood of the atonement and a cloud of incense, lest what? They die. Um, like his people, right? That's us. What a privilege. We are a holy people unto God. He has chosen to set us apart. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, a treasured possession. And verses like that are in Deuteronomy 14, 2, 21, and 28, 9. We are a chosen people. He has chosen us. He has set us apart. In 1 Peter 2, 9, what does he say? You're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Those things that God separates to himself become holy. And with that holy comes responsibility. We need to be holy and not profane, profane the name of God, Leviticus 21.9, nor profane the sanctuary, sanctuary Leviticus 21.21, 21, nor profane future generations, Leviticus 21.15. All of these, there's all examples of these in the word. It's necessary for God, Lord, sometimes, Lord, <laughs> ladies and Lord, ladies to discipline us too, isn't there? And I'll tell you, that is very, uh, not very fun. But I'll tell you what, I'd rather be disciplined in, by the Lord, from the Lord, with only the Lord, than all over everywhere. You know, and he's gracious sometimes and he'll do that. But you know what? He loves us and he will chasten us. So you know what? As he's doing that, he, what does he say? His command says this, love each other as I have loved you. So let's not whine. Let's not pout. Let's not, you know, throw a fit while the Lord is chasing us. But let us use it so that we can be, so that we can profit. And that out of this, we can definitely, others can see the holiness of our Lord. And so, you know what? We need to be separate from the rest. And so what is this about? Pursuing holiness. So, of course, it's not a study without our Keebler disciple, who we're going to start to learn about pursuing holiness.
pursue holiness, everybody. So, um, you know, David, you know, uh, he asked this question. Who may ascend on the hill of the Lord and who may stand in the holy place? In Psalm 24, 3 through 5. And what does it say? He, the, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in idols or swears by false gods, they will receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from God's salvation. So that's who can be there. You know what? Who can be there? Who can stand in a place like that? Those with clean hearts. That's where we need to go before the Lord. We need to ask him to cleanse us, to give us those pure hearts. Second Timothy 2.22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with all those who call out of a pure heart. Wow. The Lord really, really, I know about for me, really touched on a lot of different areas, was showing me a lot of different things that really need to start being tapered in and brought back in. Uh, you know what? And the, the, with this, well, one thing that, that we need to remember is that, um, you know, it, that for some of us, it's our thoughts. So what do we need to do? Take our thoughts captive because that's what the word says. Maybe it's the word we speak. So maybe we need to guard our mouth. Maybe we need to watch what we're reading. Maybe we need to watch what we're listening to. Maybe it's who we're hanging out with. And the list goes on and on and on. But the Lord is good. And in his perfect timing, by the saving work of Jesus, he redeemed his people that we might become saints. The promise of the coming Messiah in the Old Testament became increasingly specific until it was evident that the Messiah must not only be human, but be divine. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, and Micah 5, 2. We must be holy. The angel, um, it, he must be holy. Luke 1, 35 tells us, because the angel of the Lord said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, that the Holy One who was born will be called the Son of God. Throughout the life and ministry of Jesus on earth, it became increasingly clear that he was no ordinary man. He was more than a prophet, as some say, and some do say he was just a prophet or just a mere man. And I don't know about you, but when I hear people say that, it kind of makes me, you know, makes me cringe. Like, oh my goodness, what are, what are you reading? How can you even say that? And it sometimes just hurts my heart that, that people can really just say that. And, and um, I'll go on because I can go on a little rabbit trail here. But, but anyway, um, so anyway, we need to make sure that... Um, that, and, and that we know that throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, as I said, we need to realize that he was more than that mere man. Heck, even the demons acknowledged that he was the Holy One of God, in, right? In Mark one twenty four and Luke 44, the miracles and signs that he performed um, only pointed to his holiness. Jesus healed demon-possessed men in Matthew 9.33. He told the paralytic man that his sins were forgiven and that he was healed in Mark 2. 5 through 12, he gave sight to the blind in John 9, 30, 33. And so we just continue, just once again, this is the holiness of God. Colossians 1, 21 through 24, Jesus' death on the cross has reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach. And that's what it is, ladies. He died on that cross for us that he 
would be able to present us in that manner. We call ourselves Christians. So are we representing ourselves as Christ-like? And how are we treating others? Good? Bad? And the ones we like, don't we treat them nice? Aren't we really cool to the ones we're really nice to the ones we like? But how about the ones we don't like? Most of the time, right? I can only imagine of the ones that, you know, we're fond of. It's great. It's easy to be nice to them. The ones we don't. But you know what? How are we representing Jesus? His love, his mercy, his grace. Paul tells us in First Corinthians 11, to follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, we have very little excuse because we have so much in the word that guides us and directs us. Our example, Paul was a man, was a man intent on pleasing God more than men. Second Corinthians 2.17 and 4, 1 through, 3, 1 through 2. He spoke truth in the simplest and in the clearest terms to men so that they would become supernaturally convinced and converted rather than persuaded by his human cleverness. The miracles and the signs pointed to Jesus and his holiness and the events that also surrounded his death, the supernatural darkness for three hours, the tearing of the veil of the temple. A criminal on the cross next to him gave testimony to his innocence and asked Jesus to remember him when he entered into the kingdom. Even a, even a centurion gave testimony to his righteousness and confessing Jesus, saying, Truly this is the Son of God. Matthew twenty-seven fifty to 54 We know the power of the death the power of death could not hold him down. He was raised from the dead, fulfilling the promise made to the fathers in Acts 13, 32 through 35. Jesus is alive, ladies. He is well. He is here. We need to represent him as the living God. Peter and Paul not only proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus from the dead as this fulfillment of prophecy in Psalms, but they also proclaim him to be the Holy One, the promised Holy One. In Revelations 1, 12 through 19, John, who walked with Jesus and laid his head upon him, falls to his, his, falls before him as dead, overcome by his holiness and his glory. How do we present ourselves before the Lord? Yes, we can come, become, we, yes, we can come boldly before the throne, but how do we come? Are we humbled? Are we in, come in awe? Are we come in reverence? Or do we come in, hey, God, hey, hey, Lord, you know what, this would happen. You know, there's, there's, uh, we need to reverence him in his holiness. The redemption on the cross made it possible and fulfilled the teaching on, on holy, opening the way for God's Holy Spirit to indwell his people. Jesus' resurrection signifies that, that accomplishment of salvation and the Holy Spirit. In Romans 1, 4, it says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of his holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And David, fearing uh, his sin with Bathsheba, what does he say? He says, um, and, he was, and he was fearful, you know, he was afraid that, that his sin would separate him from God. And what does he say? Do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. David had a good sense of the Holy Spirit and that it was holy. In Matthew 3.11, John the Baptist preaches. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who comes after me is mightier than I, 
whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Ladies, we have the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 4 says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We can't forget the story about Ananias and Sapphira and talking about the terrifying uh, holiness of the Lord, right? If any of you have been here long enough, um, you know that Ananias and Sapphira, um, in the early days of the church, they were very concerned about the poor. And and, uh, when the needs arose, the saints would sell their possessions, bring the money, lay it before the apostles. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, you know what? They're going to do the same thing. However, you know what? They had a divided heart and a deceptive way. They kept back a portion of it, the proceeds themselves. Well, Peter confronts them, and what happens? They both die. And you know what? They lied to the Holy Spirit. Their deception was an offense to God's holiness. We need to be certain that if we're going to do something, we do it in the right way. And so I started to imagine, you know, um, you know, if that were the case, you know, who would be teaching? You know, the Lord's so good. He uses us sinful people. And, you know, we, we come before him and we confess our sins and we try to do our best. But I was like, wow, Lord, who would be doing the study? Who would be out in the seats? You know, but but he's good and, and he's gracious. And then, of course, I thought, well, maybe Kathy. Maybe, but then... She'll tell you no, so I'm okay. <clears throat> but anyway, uh, are you filled with the Holy Spirit or are you f- filled with other things? Is, is it time to fall on your knees and seek the Lord and make, sure that you, and make sure that you keep your distance from deceitfulness and deceptiveness? Acts 2, 38 and 39, it says, Then Peter said, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. The enduring promise for believers in every generation is the empowerment to make them holy, the Holy Spirit in me. Are you being a minister of Jesus, ministering the gospel? Are you sanctified? Are you being set apart? What does the Bible tell us? What, what, and, what are, and what is Jesus seeing? What does the word say, and what does Jesus see? Are you opening up that word to know? Because, you know, if you open up the word, it's just, you'll never get through enough of it. You know, as I was doing the study, I'm like, man, our whole year could have been on holiness. Just the different things, just the different aspects of holiness. I mean, probably for the next two or three years, there's just so much information. And if you're not opening the word and you're not reading it, you're only grasping what you, you get as you sit there. Maybe if you come on a Sunday, maybe if you come on a Tuesday, you know, we need to be in the word ourselves. The Holy Spirit can be expressed as having human qualities or characteristics. Because Zechariah 4, 6 says, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We do this in the spirit of the Lord, not in, in our flesh. And what we really need to remember is that it is by the Lord's Spirit, that Holy Spirit. We need to remember that it is a Holy Spirit. Like the power of the wind, the Spirit equipped Samson with extraordinary strength. So that's what it is. It's that power. It's the power of Spirit. Davis tells us that the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him in Second Samuel 23, 2. That's what the Lord does. He speaks to us. 
He shows us. He guides us. He directs us. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is my covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." No more shall each man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, I will forgive their iniquities and their sins and remember them no more. We need to remember who it is that we serve. Our dependence needs to be on Jesus. In the Old Testament, the dependence was upon repentance, and it's associated with that clean heart. And being a new creation. We're often left, we're never left to our own. We have the spirit that will guide us, direct us, and equip us for anything that we have to face. The Bible uses the term, the word holy, as has to do with God separating from the world that which he chooses to devote to himself. So if, you calling, if you're holy, the Lord has called me holy. He's choosing to separate me from this world. And I'll tell you, I don't think I could be any happier, especially in this day. And when I, you know, as I, as I was studying, I'm like, wow, Lord, thank you. Thank you for not wanting me to even be involved in all of that. Thank you for bringing me to a place where you want me to be. And, and I think years ago, years and years ago, I would have been like, what are you doing? I like this. This is fun. I'll be okay, Lord. You know, I'll be that light. Let me be that light. And I want to be the light wherever I go, but I don't want to be in the world. I don't want to be around the, around the things that can pull me and suck me down. I want to be where the Lord has me and where I can devote myself to him. God's redeeming plan through the Old Testament, um, holy became associated with God's separate people confirming that his revealed law. The doctrine of the holiness of God should guide us, govern us, and govern our lives. My prayer was that through this study, we would grasp just a bit of the holiness of God that would change our attitudes and our conduct in worship. And I just, I think, you know, sometimes we think we're going to do things in the right way. And, you know, if you remember the story of Uzzah, and they were moving the ark into Jerusalem, and what were they were told? They were told not to touch it. And if you think about it, you know, Uzzah, he lost his life. He was both sincere and, and zealous in bringing the ark to Jerusalem, yet the Lord struck him dead because of his irreverence and failure to obey precisely what he had been instructed to, not to do, and that's touch the ark. And so, you know, I think, you know, sometimes we do these things and we think we're doing them, you know, like, oh, wholeheartedly. But, you know, we need to remember to obey what it is the Lord tells us. You know, I never want to go where the Lord doesn't want me to be. And, you know, sometimes we think, oh, well, I'll go do this and I'll do, I'll go here and I'll share this. Boy, if the Lord don't want you, I say that's a pretty good warning. Don't go. Reverence and obedience, pure pursuit, uh, reverence and obedience and pursuing holiness. The holiness of God is based, is a basis and the compelling necessity for our sanctification. The holiness of God is the reason we are commanded to live a holy life. Because the Lord is holy, we are his people, we too must be holy. Holiness is our calling in Ephesians 1.4, in Romans 8.29, in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. We must practice and proclaim his excellencies to the world, 1 Peter 2.9. 
and be prominent among God's excellence in his holiness. The command to his people is, be holy for I am holy. So ladies, he's not asking us to do anything that he isn't himself or that he won't equip us for or that he won't help us with. The holiness of God is a matter of great importance. We have examples over and over and over. Moses, right? What did God tell him to do? Speak to the rock. That's all he wanted to do was speak to the rock. But what did he do? Struck it twice. What did he do? He, re- he did not treat God as holy. He did not reverence the Lord as holy and do what he, what he told him to do. He did. Of course, there was consequences. He didn't get to enter the promised land. But mostly, he did not treat God as holy. Maybe it's unbelief. Maybe for us, some of you, it's unbelief out there. And maybe for some, it's just willful disbelief. Maybe, you know, like you, you're like, oh, yeah, I come and I hear the word. But, you know, it's good. It's good for me on Sunday or it's good for me on Tuesday. But, you know, I'm okay out in the world. I can do that. I can go here. I can listen to that. I can watch this. You know, the Lord is saying to some, fear the Lord and turn from these and pursue holiness. Even Peter in Luke 5, 8 he, you know, um, they, they were out fishing all day and night, another day and night story, caught nothing. You know, the Lord teaches, he says, hey, push the boats out, put your nets down. You know, what does he say? He's like, Lord, we've been doing this all day and night, but I'll do it, you know, because you said to. And what happens when he does that? So many fish, too many fish. The boats are sinking too many fish, you know. We just need to obey. We just need to really do what the Lord tells us to do. Um, We must constantly be mindful of his holiness and maintain reverence for him. Um, We need to um, not be able to tolerate wrongdoings. We need to make sure we follow his commands. We should be striving to fulfill the, the demands as a Christian. And in 1 Corinthians 7.31, it says, If you're single, you should care about the things of the Lord, that you may be both holy in the body and mind. And if you're married, how she must, um, and if you're married, it talks about how you must please your husband. So, you know, I tell you, um, as, I, as I read that, it's so funny. So we've hit everybody, right? You're either single or married here. That It's pretty much the whole crowd. So the thing is, you know what? The single ladies really need to strive for the things of the Lord. And that your mind and your body, you know, are, are set holy for him. And if you're married, you need to, we need to please our husband. And so, you know, you're going through this and some of you married might be thinking, oh, it might be better to be single and just, you know, be mindful about that. No, 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 no. Be mindful of the things that please your husband. So that, so tonight, ladies, you know, um, once again, as we, um, we should be perfecting that holiness in the fear of the Lord. Second Corinthians 7, 1. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And here's just a few things that the Lord might be teaching us or telling us, um, things that he wants us to turn from. There are six things the Lord, the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, one who sows discords among the brethren. Oh, there's more. There's more than he might be speaking. Maybe there's gluttony. Maybe there's envy. Maybe there's greed. Maybe there's wrath. Maybe there's laziness. Oh, and how about pride? How about that one? Boy, certain, you know, uh, we could all make sure that we keep that under control. Galatians 5, 19, 21 says, Therefore put 
to death your members which are on earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because these things, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. More, if maybe those didn't touch, here's more. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are in adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I've told you in the past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are just some things that, you know, sometimes we might take liberties and think some of those are just okay. We need to be mindful and remember. We can't justify because sometimes I know we think, man, we have justification for just some of this. But we need to remember we are, we're to be receiving forgiveness easily, that we, can, that we have been treated, that so that we have treated God's holiness right. God's holiness is not a casual thing. And you know what? Um, I, uh, I saw something that says, here are, five, uh, here are five ways to pursue holiness in a world that minimizes sin. It says we need to take our sins seriously and call it what it is, sin. We need to confess our, God, our sins to God and others. We need to strive to do what is right in God's eyes and obey his word. Say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And five, pursue holiness over happiness. And that's a, that's, that one really hit. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all the people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in, the, in this present age. That's in Titus 2, 11 and 12. Strive for holiness Striving for this holiness is not popular. The world tells us to follow the crowd. The world tells us to minimize that sin. The world even mocks when we pursue purity. And it calls evil good and good evil. We must not follow the ways of the world. We are children of the Lord, and we've been set apart for God's glory. Let's give ourselves completely to God, lay down our old ways, and walk in his holiness. So ultimately, why should you be holy? Our motive for being holy is not primarily to follow rules or laws, but it's to follow God himself. We're striving, we are to strive to be holy, pursuing holiness without no one who can, no one, without this, no one can see the Lord. But how can we be motivated to be holy? And why should we? The answer to the question gives us a profound insight into what the motive should be. We're to be holy. We are to be holy because God is holy. As obedient children, do not conform to the former lust which you used to, being ignorant. But be like the Holy One who called you. Be holy in your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. The reason we are holy is because, once again, God is holy. We need to obey, not just because the Bible tells us, but because of who God is and the nature of his character. Ladies, let us walk with the king. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you tonight, Lord, and I thank you for just teaching us about your holiness, Lord.
I pray that each of us tonight, Lord, wherever we are, would take that which you are speaking to us and pursue holiness. I pray that we would let go of those things and not worry or wonder or be afraid, but that we would just see the blessing of your holiness and wanting to walk after you. Lord, bless these women for coming and sitting at your feet, Lord. Show them how much you love them. Give them traveling mercies as they go. And Lord, as they are pursuing holiness, I pray for your graciousness and your love for us as we um, change from our that old man into the new creation that you have called us to be and that you're working in us. So, Lord, please complete that good work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.